to the brightest audience in the country. Welcome to Bob and Yurt Live. I'm the pastor of Denver Bible Church. Two weeks ago today, we aired part one of our key to understanding the Bible, that Jesus was circumcised. That's the key to the plot of the New Testament, even of the entire Bible. Well, after a couple news items, we'll continue that key to understanding the Bible with part two, First, the nightmare of children's books, and then the Palestinian miscalculation in their launching of 3,000 rockets at Israel this month. You may recall the program we aired in January 2020, Between the Covers, What's Inside a Children's Book, with Deborah DeGroff. Deborah worked for years with our dear friend, a hero, of the family, Dr. Judith Reisman, who passed away just a month ago, and we did a program in honor of her life and her work. Well, Deborah DeGroff and I, and you could find this so easy, just go to kgov.com and use the search there for Between the Covers. That's an easy way of finding it, or search for DeGroff, D-E-G-R-O-F-F. And that program We went through parts of Deborah's book, Between the Covers, What's Inside a Children's Book, and it is horrifying, just doesn't seem to cover it. How dark, how perverse, how wicked these books are in perverting the minds of children. Today, there is an article in World Net Daily, Joe Kovacs, And he reports on the baby section at Barnes & Noble. And this is not sexual, but this is woke. This is social justice. This is socialism. So the titles of the books, and you can see there's a video. There's a mom in Florida who goes through the books. And you can see this. It's real brief. One of the titles, My First Book of Feminism, Others, I look up to Ruth Bader Ginsburg, another anti-racist baby, another baby feminist, another no, my first book of protest, right? Teaching the kids, say no, it's, it's your right to protest. And another, Michelle Obama, first lady and superhero. And then Woke Baby. Now, Woke Baby on the back cover, Woke Babies are up early. Woke babies raise their fist in the air, and they have a little drawing, a little baby. You know, the black power thing. Woke babies raise their fist in the air. Woke babies cry out for justice. Oh, were that true of the woke babies from Hollywood and the woke babies at the Capitol? Oh, that that were true, that they would cry out for justice. They cry out for racism and injustice. That's what they cry out for, socialism, godlessness, And they say, woke babies grow up to change the world. So these are all at Barnes & Noble, and it's important for Christians to realize we've been saying this kind of thing for 30 years. Back 20-some years ago, we went into a bookstore at the Cherry Creek Mall in Denver, and this bookstore had two books 
that were child pornography. The books were picture books of young children naked, near naked, and all in enticing sexual poses. And so four or five of us from the radio show went in. And if I recall, I was there with Larry Kilgore and his wife, Valerie, and others. And we went to the aisle, we got those books, and we began tearing them page after page, ripping the books up and throwing the pages on the floor of the aisle. And so the manager comes and we say, call the police, please call the police, have us arrested because they're selling child pornography. And of course, they didn't call the police. The mall cop came by and he was despicable. But at least that was one of our many efforts to share with people how destructive the publishing industry is in general. And then in particular, teen books and preteen books and children's books, it is all, almost 100% of it is designed to destroy your child. If we were to ask God, now the authors and the publishers, they wouldn't say it's to destroy your child. They would say it's to give your child a good foundation for having a successful life. And by that, they mean someone who will grow up to shout, crucify him, crucify him. So just devastating these books. Beware of children's books. Now, as for the Palestinian miscalculation, as the IDF retaliates at Hamas and the Palestinian Islamic Jihad this month, over 200 Palestinians have been killed. And there's good reason to believe that the strong majority of those were terror combatants. Whereas I think it's now how many 10 Israelis have been killed. The Palestinian terrorists assumed that with the Dems back in control of the U.S., that they would get significant political cover and extreme pressure would restrain the Israeli Defense Force. That turns out to be their latest huge miscalculation. And we keep a list of these. Let's see if our list of Muslim terrorist miscalculations is up to date at kgov.com slash terror. Let's see, that's miscalculation number 30. We got to update this by one, 39,187, right at the top of the page there. And that's only counting since 9-11 and only counting deadly Islamic terror attacks. So the Palestinians of the 3,200 or so by now, rockets they fired, nearly 10% have misfired and hit in Gaza. So some number of their own casualties were probably self-inflicted. And Israel has been successful in killing leaders of Hamas and Islamic Jihad. And also, just in the past 24 hours, the Palestinians were launching a submersible, a small autonomous submersible sub, basically, filled with explosives, undoubtedly, to try to pull off a marine attack against an Israeli ship. And the IDF, they were watching every step of the whole thing. And so right at the last moment, as they're just about to launch it, they take out not only the submersible, but the cars and the combatants who were involved. And so that failed. And also the Palestinians there 
miles, many miles of tunnels designed to launch terror attacks. The IDF has been destroying much of their tunnel infrastructure. You see, there they know what the word infrastructure means. Now, last news item. This is tomorrow night. I will be presenting online, so you're welcome to join us at the Twin Cities Creation Science Association, Scientific Predictions Based on the Global Flood. This should be so much fun. And we will post atop our website, kgov.com, an invitation. You could email David Johnson with TCCSA, and he will send you the link so you could join the Zoom session. Now for part two of our presentation on the key to understanding the Bible, that Jesus Christ was circumcised. Many people study the Bible their whole lives and are never taught about the significance of circumcision. To God, it's key to his revelation to mankind of what God wants us to know about what he's doing in the world. The Old Testament references circumcision 32 times. The New Testament, and this is the opposite of what many Christians might think, the New Testament doesn't mention it half as frequently, but more than twice as frequently, 76 times. Circumcision and uncircumcision, those 76 mentions, they so far exceed the number of times the New Testament mentions other things, like, for example, hell, right? Rather important. Jesus talks about it all the time, 25 times. Adultery, for living the Christian life and not destroying yourself and others, 35 times. Repentance, 66 times. The Sabbath, 64 times. Speaking in tongues, 29 times. Confession, that's important, no? 29 times. Circumcision is referenced 76 times in the New Testament. Why is that? It turns out, from God's perspective, as he put it in the Bible, circumcision is the key to understanding not only the plot of the Bible, but the plot twist that occurs in the New Testament. In part one, we talked about Abraham and God requiring Abraham to circumcise. And we also covered that circumcision was not a moral issue, It was a symbolic issue, and there's a significant difference between moral commands like do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness against your neighbor, do not commit adultery, and symbolic ordinances, and we covered that in detail. You could see that. Just go to kgov.com, and on today's show, Monday, May 17th, we'll link back to two weeks ago, Monday, May 3rd, 2021. And by the way, since then, I had the opportunity to visit Noah's Ark and the Creation Museum in Texas, both run by Ken Ham and Answers in Genesis. Just fabulous. Absolutely loved it. So now I'd like to continue with this question of, was circumcision optional? And we saw already that God required Abraham to circumcise. And he said that he would cut off people in Israel, if they did not circumcise. So how about with Moses? Do you recall from Exodus chapter 4 
that God almost killed Moses. This is a story that all Christians who've read Exodus, we've all read this passage, but if it doesn't make sense, you don't have a way of fitting it into your theology, then we tend to forget that it's in the Bible. But I'll read it to you, and you'll see that God almost killed Moses. He was on his deathbed, and he survived because his wife, who was not a Hebrew, she consented. She hated it, but she circumcised her son and threw the bloody foreskin at Moses and said, you're a husband of blood to me because of the circumcision. So let me read it, and then we'll talk through it so we understand what it is, and we see the importance of circumcision to God because the Lord had already worked with Moses for 80 years. Moses is now 80 years old when this happens, and God had been planning to use him to deliver the Hebrews out of bondage in Egypt, but because he was disobeying God regarding circumcising his son, as God said to Abraham, A few centuries earlier, if you don't circumcise, you will be cut off. So here it is, Exodus chapter 4, verse 24. Warning, 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 Will Robinson, their Bible verses up ahead. For those in the audience who advocate pluralism and diversity, we know here at Bob on Your Live that you would like to silence anyone who would dare quote a Bible verse in public. So this warning gives you fair notice that raw, unadulterated truth is about to be uttered. And the text says... Exodus chapter 4. It came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met Moses and sought to kill him. Then Zipporah, that's his Gentile wife, Midianite wife, took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So what in the world's going on? So God let him go. God let Moses go. Then she said, Zipporah said to her husband, Moses, you are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. That's the story. Doesn't make sense to a lot of people because they don't realize how important circumcision is. Circumcision is the covenant that began the nation of Israel actually began the nation of Israel, because in the Bible, God calls the Israelites the circumcision people. They are the circumcision. And that is what distinguishes Israelites from Gentiles. And in fact, in Paul's epistles, he says that in the body of Christ, now that we are all one, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, And the enmity, the division between us has been taken out of the way. And that division was the law, he says. It was the law, and the law, of course, includes circumcision. In fact, it's smack dab in the middle of the book of Leviticus. So during this episode, Moses learns firsthand the necessity of circumcision for Israelites. He grew up in Pharaoh's household. Remember that? where no circumcision occurred. His own mother, his father, could have had him circumcised because his mother cared for him, but they didn't want Pharaoh to have reason to move against this child, so they didn't circumcise their own son. Now, Zipporah, his Midianite wife, undoubtedly 
if Moses brought up that he wanted their son to be circumcised, she would have strenuously objected to any notion of cutting the skin off of their perfectly healthy newborn. So Moses seems, according to this account, he seems to have given in to his wife's objections, which was wrong to do. And he decided, even though God commanded this, he decided to forego this ritual. But God was not about to let Moses get away with not circumcising his son. So apparently, God brought Moses to his deathbed, and Moses, unable to circumcise his own son due to his sudden ill health, pressed his wife to circumcise their son. And she reluctantly obeyed, and with the screams of her first child in her ears, she became disgusted with her husband for what seemed to be his crude religious convictions. And only then did God let him go. That's how Moses survived. You could go to a thousand Sunday school classes and never get that story. God would not let Moses, the lawgiver, live apart from the law. He must keep the law or else, or else he would die the death of the uncircumcised. That's how it's put in Ezekiel 28, to die the death of the uncircumcised. And like Pharaoh, Moses would lie in the midst of the uncircumcised with those who have gone down uncircumcised to the lower parts of the earth. These are phrases out of the book of Ezekiel showing how God characterizes the wicked among the Gentiles, and imagine to have that characterization true of the child of Moses the Deliverer. It was too much for God. So after working with him for 80 years as the Deliverer of Israel, God almost killed him for not circumcising his son. So from Abraham, almost 4,000 years ago, until today, Jews have been circumcising their children except for 40 years. There was one 40-year period when they didn't do it. What period was that? It's astounding. We read about it in the book of Joshua. You have the five books of Moses, and then Joshua took over the leadership of Israel from Moses as desired by God. And in Joshua chapter 5, we read, we did the warning already? Yeah. For all the people who came out of Egypt— had been circumcised. But all the people who were born in the wilderness on the way as they came out of Egypt, they had not been circumcised. For the children of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness. Isn't that something? I mean, it's astounding, given two things. One, that God commanded Abraham, you have to circumcise your male children, and if you don't, they're not part of my covenant. And secondly, Moses learned right from God the significance, how important it is to not disobey him. And yet for 40 years, the Jews did not circumcise. Now that fits in with the plot of the Bible, like a glove on a hand, like you can't imagine until you understand it. So John the Baptist was circumcised, right? In obedience to God's law. Of course, in Luke chapter 1. Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son, 
Now, so it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and his mother answered and said, He shall be called John. Paul, too, had been circumcised according to the law. We read in Philippians 3, If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I, Paul, I have more confidence. I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee. Wow. And of course, Jesus was circumcised because circumcision was part of the Mosaic law and Jesus was born under the law. Remember that? Paul wrote in Galatians 4.4, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. So because Jesus was born under the law, unlike if you have a child, a boy, you don't have to have him circumcised. You're part of a Bible-believing church. You love the Lord. You hope to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And there are no Christian denominations that teach that you have to circumcise your male children. Thank God that there are none that teach that. It's tragic that they don't explain to their members why that has changed, why it's no longer necessary. So because Jesus was born under the law, and Matthew 5.17 tells us that he himself kept the law, he was circumcised. His parents circumcised him as a baby. And consider from Mark that Jesus regularly taught the law and instructed others to obey the Mosaic law. Here we go. And Jesus said to them, all too well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your tradition. For Moses said, honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. That's considered the harshest of the commands in the Mosaic law. Yet even that law, Jesus taught them to obey. Now, what the atheist does is they pretend that this is a child like a four-year-old or a nine-year-old, a 12-year-old, and they curse their parents, and then they kill the child. It's not true. When you read this in the Mosaic Law, it's someone who is a drunkard and curses their parents. So it's an adult, rebellious son. You have a father and a mother, regardless of how old you are. So they assume it's a child. That's not true. And God did not joke when he said in Genesis 17, the uncircumcised person shall be cut off from his people. Circumcision is the cutting off of the flesh, right? God said, if you don't cut off the flesh, then you as a person will be cut off from your people, from God's people, because you have broken my covenant. So a little baby, you can't blame the baby, but you blame the parents. And if the baby grows up in Israel and is an Israelite and he's not circumcised, now if a Gentile happens to be living in Israel, he doesn't have to be circumcised and he's not killed. But if he wants to become a Jew, if he wants to become a proselyte Jew, then he does need to be circumcised. Women get a pass on that one. But as for entering God's temple, remember the Lord said in Ezekiel 44 that not even a foreigner uncircumcised in heart or uncircumcised in flesh shall enter my sanctuary. So Jesus, 
He teaches obedience to the law, of course. In the Gospels, Jesus answered and said to them, What did Moses command you? He says, Okay, what Moses commanded you, Mark 10, that's what you got to do. In Matthew 8, Jesus said, Go offer the gift that Moses commanded. In Matthew 19, Jesus said, If you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. Then he begins to quote Moses from Leviticus chapter 18. Of course, he's quoting himself because he's the one who gave the law to Moses. And the law of Moses contains, if you add them all up, even the least of the commands, contains hundreds of commandments. And Jesus taught they had to obey them all, the greatest and the least. Remember in Matthew 5, the Lord said, not one jot or one tittle, like not a dotting of an I or a crossing of a T, will by no means pass from the law till all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments, and there he was talking about things like tithing of the mint that you grow in your garden. So you're growing peppermint in your garden to flavor your steak that you're going to grill. You're growing peppermint and you count 10 stalks and you break off one of the stalks and you include that in your offering to the priest. That's talk about one of the lesser commands as compared to idolatry, murder, and so on. So Jesus says, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great. So we're talking about Jesus teaching to Israel. Jesus teaching to Israel, Jesus teaching to the circumcision. We in the body of Christ, we are not of the circumcision. They had to circumcise. We do not have to circumcise. That changed when God said to Paul, I am sending you as my apostle to the Gentiles, to the uncircumcision. And so Paul and Peter cut a deal you read about it in Galatians 2, where Peter took the gospel of the circumcision to the Jews, and Paul took the gospel of the uncircumcision to the Gentiles, indeed, to the whole world. But Jesus continued to teach the law of Moses. In Matthew 23, he said, The Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. Therefore, whatever they tell you to do, observe and do. Right? If the Pharisees say, hey, do this, because they're sitting in Moses' seat and they're quoting Moses, Jesus said, then that's what you have to do. In that chapter, he went on to say that the Pharisees themselves are hypocrites because they pay tithe of mint, but they've neglected the weightier matters of the law. And he says, you should have kept the weightier matters of the law without leaving the others undone, the lesser matters of the law. Isn't that something? As explicit as can be. Even in the Gospel of John, chapter 7, Jesus says, Didn't Moses give you the law? Yet none of you are keeping the law. In Matthew 7, he said, He's going to say to some Israelites, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Matthew 15, Why do you transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? And it goes on and on. So if someone was a false teacher, if they were confused and they were going to teach that if you want to be part of God's covenant people, you have to circumcise your male children when they're born 
And if you're an adult and you become a Christian, you have to be circumcised. If someone was going to teach that, for one, that would be false doctrine. But the powerful argument they could make, beginning in Genesis 17, when God said that circumcision was an everlasting covenant, everlasting covenant. When I did the series recently on the timing of the second coming has changed, and there was this covenant theologian, his, his wife actually, a Calvinist, and she was so angry online. And she said, oh, there's Bob discarding God's eternal covenant. And I asked Cheryl, I said, I, I wonder if she circumcises her kids as part of her covenant obligation because circumcision is an everlasting covenant. Yet... You know, Calvinists don't, thankfully, because they know really they're dispensationalists. The covenant has changed.